We are continuing our series today on Noah's Ark, or as I've come to prefer, the Lord's Ark in Genesis chapter 7. In the Polish city of Nova Huta, which is a a city that we had the privilege of visiting late last year. It's, a, it's actually a workers' city. It was established by the communists in Russia. It was supposed to be a model city for, for steel workers. And the workers were uh, encouraged to want to have an enormous statue of Lenin in the middle of their city. And no one really wanted it, and so the workers donated their money by having their, their pay garnished, and this, this paid for this enormous statue, a uh, bronze statue of Lenin, and it was so popular that one of the workers tried to blow it up one night, and what the workers really wanted, in fact, was a church, and this was in the 1960s and in the 1970s, and so the workers, without having to have their pay garnished, they actually donated money and built their own church, two million bricks. It was uh, a beautiful church established just on the outskirts of Krakow. And we had the privilege of visiting this church. It's uh, called the Arka Pana, which apparently means the Lord's Ark. And when you go into this church, when you look up, it looks like the bottom of an enormous wooden ship. And so that the ceiling is, is, is meant to represent the bottom of the ark, and it's very stunning, very striking. One problem, though. One problem. So the, 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 the idea, the concept is, is that the church is, is kind of like an ark. The problem is, when you're sitting there, the ark's up there, and you're not in it. And... That, that became very clear to me as I was sitting in the pews of this church looking up. I thought, there's the ark, and I'm here. And what we learn from Genesis is that we need to be in the ark, not looking at the ark, but, but in the ark. And that's a, a lesson that I hope will very much come, become clear to you today as we study Genesis 7, the vital importance that we not be looking at the Lord's Ark. And did you notice the model of the Ark as you came in today? Isn't that wonderful? On the table there, a six-foot model built by Ian Searle, Kathy's father. Thanks for bringing that today, Kathy. And it gives you a good idea of the Ark. If you didn't see it as you came in, then have a good look on the way out. And I hope today that you'll see the importance of not just looking at the Ark as a distant object, but the vital importance of being in the Lord's Ark. And there are three lessons that I want to bring out this morning from Genesis 7 and other parts of the Bible. And the first lesson we learn from Genesis 6 and 7 is that God's fury falls upon sinful humanity. God's fury falls upon sinful humanity. Look there at Genesis chapter 6, verse 11. Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight and was full of violence. 
And God saw how corrupt the earth had become, for all the people on earth had corrupted their ways. So God said to Noah, I'm going to put an end to all people, for the earth is filled with violence because of them. I am surely going to destroy both them and the earth. And then we move forward to chapter 7, verse 10. After the ark had been complete, and Noah and his family were safe in the ark, we read that after the seven days, after the seven days that they entered the ark, the floodwaters came on the earth. In the 600th year of Noah's life, on the 17th day of the second month, on that day, all the springs of the great deep burst forth and the floodgates of the heavens were opened and rain fell on the earth for 40 days and 40 nights. And we can picture that scene, can't we? The sky would have been black with clouds, the sun would have been blotted out, and we read that the rakia, as it's called in Genesis chapter 1, the firmament, or the great vault that God made on the second day of creation, what was the purpose of that firmament? It was to separate the waters, wasn't it? To separate the waters above from the waters below. And what we are seeing here in Genesis chapter 7 is the destruction of that firmament. The destruction of that rakia, that vault that was separating the waters. And as that vault is destroyed, the waters above come down with the the great rains, 40 days and 40 nights. And the waters from below come up The ocean, the seas, the rivers are filled and they come up. And so we see the destruction of that breathing space, that that, that place where air-breathing life could survive. And we see the destruction also of the dry land that God had created on the third day, that place where plants and animals and air-breathing life could survive. It, this description of the great rains and the flood is a catastrophic picture of God destroying what he had made on the first day, the the blotting out of light, the second day, the destruction of the vault, and the third day, the destruction of dry land. It was the catastrophic undoing of creation week. And look there at Genesis 7, verse 21. Every living thing that moved on the earth perished. Birds, livestock, wild animals, all the creatures that swarm over the earth, and all humankind. Everything on dry land that had the breath of life in its nostrils died. Every living thing on the face of the earth was wiped out. Humans and animals, the creatures that move along the ground and the birds of the air were wiped out from the earth. This was the ferocious judgment of God upon the violence and corruption of humanity. And the biggest mistake we could make right at this point is to think, 
What a, what a terrible judgment that occurred in the past. What a ter- terrible judgment that God brought in the past upon the earth. Because as we turn to our New Testaments, we see that the judgment of God is right now being unleashed again upon humanity. Turn with me to Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1. Verse 18. Where Paul tells us that the wrath, the fury of God is being revealed from heaven. Please notice, present tense, it is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness since what may be known about God is plain to them because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, so that people are without excuse. For although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God, nor gave thanks to him, but their thinking became futile, their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools, and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like a mortal human being, and birds, and animals, and reptiles, Paul is saying that the fury of God is being unleashed now against humanity. Before it was a flood, what is it now? What is the manifestation of God's wrath now? Look there at verse 24. Therefore, God gave them over in the sinful desires of their hearts to sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another. They exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshipped and served created things rather than the Creator, who is forever praised. Amen. Because of this, God gave them over to shameful lusts. Even their women exchanged natural sexual relations for unnatural ones. In the same way, the men also abandoned natural relations with women and were inflamed with lust for one another. Men committed shameful acts with other men and received in themselves the due penalty for their error. Furthermore, just as they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, so God gave them over. What is the refrain of Romans chapter 1 there? What's that repeated phrase? God gave them over to a depraved mind so that they do what ought not to be done. They have become filled with every kind of wickedness, evil, greed and depravity. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit and malice. They are gossips, slanderers, God-haters, insolent, arrogant and boastful. They invent ways of doing evil. They disobey their parents. They have no, no understanding, no fidelity, no love, no mercy. Although they know God's righteous decree that those who do such things deserve death, They not only continue to do these things, but also approve of those who practice them. What's Paul saying here, brothers and sisters? 
We look back in the past and we see God's fury upon mankind for its, destruct, for its corruption and violence. And Paul is saying, open your eyes. Open your eyes. Can't you see the fury of God now? Unleashed upon the corruption and violence of humanity now in a far, far worse way. Because he is handing us over, Paul says. It's the most severe judgment we could possibly imagine is God handing us over to our idolatry, to our sinful desires, to sexual immorality, to lying, hate, dishonor, greed. This is the fury of God. And, and, and people look at the world and we see the corruption of the world, we see the violence of the world, we see the godlessness of the world, and many ask, why doesn't God do something about this? And Paul said, he is. He is. His fury unleashed in the handing over of humanity to our own sinfulness. Noah's Ark teaches us, Romans teaches us, that God's fury falls upon sinful humanity. But the second thing it teaches us is that Noah's family sheltered in the Lord's ark. Turn with me back to Genesis chapter 7 now. Genesis 7, verse 1. And the Lord said to Noah, Go into the ark, you and your whole family, because I've found you righteous in this generation. And over there to verse 13, on that very day, on the very day that the floodgates of heaven were opened, Noah and his sons, Shem, Ham and Japheth, together with his wife and the wives of his three sons, entered the ark. They had with them every wild animal according to its kind, all livestock according to their kinds, every creature that moves along the ground according to its kind, and every bird according to its kind, everything with wings. Pairs of all creatures that have the breath of life in them came to Noah and entered the ark. The animals going in were male and female of every living thing, as God had commanded Noah. Then the Lord shut him in. Now, think about this for a moment. When the rains fell and the floods came up, where was safety to be found? The highest mountaintops, were they safe from the flood? They weren't safe, were they? Because we read that the, the highest mountaintops of earth were covered with seven metres of water. Was there safety to be found in another boat, another ship perhaps? Well, what other boat, what other ship had been so carefully prepared as the ark, bitumen coated on the inside and out, resilient and filled with enough food, water and supplies for 12 months, because that's what you needed. No other ship or boat could have saved you. Was there safety to be found in technology? Was there safety to be found with your money, 
God's rains are falling, the floods are coming. Well, I'm rich. I'm rich. Well, your riches won't help at all when the floods are coming down. My importance in the community, my education, none, none of these things could have saved me. The most brilliant minds could not save themselves or others from the fury of God. Their arguments against the existence of God. When the rain's coming down and the floods are coming up, well, I have a very clever argument to explain why God doesn't exist. That's not going to help you, is it? That's not going to help you. Mocking God, mocking Noah, who for decades had been building this ark, that wasn't going to help anyone. There was only one safe place. One safe place only, and that was the Lord's ark. The ark that the Lord had designed. The ark that the Lord had enabled Noah to build. And I love that little detail that when Noah and his family and the animals were safe in the ark, what happened? The Lord shut them in. The Lord shut them in. He was saving Noah and his family in his ark. Now, the ark was not the most beautiful of God's creations, by the way. And I think that model that we have in the foyer shows very nicely that it was a pretty plain wooden box, but we could probably add a layer of bitumen on the, on the outside to make it even uglier. It was not the most beautiful of God's creations. It was ugly on the outside, and dare I say, ugly on the inside. When I was a, a kid, we used to like to go to my pop's farm, and we used to like to uh, camp, as it were, in the shearing shed. And that was something fun that we, we used to do. And mum and dad would drop us up at the farm and we'd stay there for four or five days in the shearing shed and we would sleep on the, the old piles of wool and fun for four or five days. But you wouldn't want to live in a shearing shed. It's not designed to be lived in for any length of time. And Noah's Ark... It was like a great big shearing shed, I suppose, with the smells of the animals, the noises of the animals. Uh, it, 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 would not, it was not the ovation princess of the sea, whatever they call those, those cruise liners. It was not a cruise liner. It was hard. It was difficult, smelly, noisy. There was no 24-hour buffets on Noah's Ark. There was no water slide on Noah's Ark. There was no cafes and cabarets going on in the evening on Noah's Ark. But it was safe. It was safe because the Lord had made it safe. It was his safe place. The Lord shut them in. And as God's fury fell upon the earth, Noah and his family were safe in the Lord's Ark. And I don't need to tell any Christian that as God's fury falls today, and it is, that's why our society is being handed over to its sin. That's the fury of God, says Paul. As the fury of God falls today, there is only one 
safe place. It's not an ark. It's a person. His life was not pretty. He didn't appear that attractive either, did he? His life began in poverty, in a stable, in an animal's food trough. His life ended by being tortured to death in a place of public execution. He didn't appear attractive. Scourged and crucified people are not attractive. What he offered to us is not outwardly attractive. What did Jesus say? Come to me and you will be handed over to be persecuted, he said, and put to death and you'll be hated by all the nations because of me. Jesus Christ, crucified. Not outwardly attractive at all, but the one safe place from the fury of God. The one safe place. He said, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. I, I hope we can see that as the fury of God fell in the days of Noah, that one safe place was that ugly old ark. But it did the job because it was God's safe place. And as the fury of God falls today, as he hands people over to their sins, the one safe place is Christ crucified. Not attractive to the world, offensive to the world, but precious to us because we know that we are safe with him and in him. And this brings me to the final lesson for this morning, that God's fury fell upon his ark. We've seen so far this morning that God's fury falls upon sinful humanity, that Noah's family sheltered in the Lord's ark, and now finally, God's fury fell upon his ark. Let me explain what I mean. The rain came down and it pelted down upon the ark, didn't it? All the world, but the ark included. And the waters came up against the bottom and against the sides of the ark. And we have this picture of the fury of God coming down upon this ark Noah and his family safe inside because the ark is taking the, the judgment of God, you see. The rain's hitting the ark. The floods are, are crashing against the ark and not against those who were safe inside it, Noah and his family. They were safe because the Lord had shut them in and the ark was bearing the brunt of God's judgment. And we know, don't we, that that's why Jesus is our safe place. We know that that's why there is safety in him. 
because the fury of God for, for our sin came raining down upon him and crashed up against him. And he bore the brunt of it. He bore the anger of God. Why else did he cry out on the cross? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why did he say that? Because he knew that the anger of God for the sins of the world was coming upon him, beating against him. And that's why we're safe in him. Because the anger of God has been absorbed by him, borne by him, and so we are safe in him. Jesus Christ crucified, offensive to the world. Nothing pretty to look at, on the contrary. But we are safe in him because he has borne our sins and the punishment that we deserved. Christian brothers and sisters, I want to say to you this morning, we, you, are, are, are very sensitive, I know, to what is going on in the world and in our society. You, you see exactly what Paul means. You read Paul and you see that makes perfect sense of what I see in this world. God handing people over to their sin, the fury of God expressed in that way. It's painful. It's terrifying to see. But you know that you are safe in Jesus Christ because God's fury for your sin has fallen upon his shoulders. God's fury for your vanity, your greed, has already fallen upon Christ. God's fury for your lust, your unfaithfulness, your sexual impurity has fallen on him. God's fury for your unforgiveness, your selfish rage has fallen on Jesus Christ. And so the accuser comes, Satan comes, look at you with all your sin and corruption and your words and in your mind and your heart and your actions and we say to the accuser, yes, there's a lot you don't know about. But Jesus has, has taken the punishment I deserved. The fury of God has fallen upon him. I'm in him by faith. I'm in him. And I'm safe. Death approaches, but we are safe in Jesus Christ. And I want to say to young people this morning, God's judgment is falling right now upon the earth. And the ark is there. The ark is there. And you know, when, when, when Noah built this ark, we know people mocked him. What a ridiculous thing Noah built. But there it was, this place of safety. God's provision of a safe place and people mocked it and God's fury falls now and there is the ark 
There is Jesus Christ, and the world mocks him. And the world mocks those who, who trust in him, who love him. But there he is. And the door is beginning to shut. And you need to find your safety in Christ. And, and I know you're, you're young. And you think, I, I, I can do that another day. I can do that next year. I can do that when I'm old. I can do that when I'm settling down with my family. I can do that on my deathbed. It does not work like that. If it is hard for you to put your trust in Christ today, it will only be harder tomorrow. And only harder again next year and the year after. And can anyone presume on one, for one more day? Can anyone say for certain, I've got a tomorrow? We don't know if we have a tomorrow, let alone a next year, 10 years' time. Now is the time. God says, there's my son. I love you. And I want you to be safe. And I want you to, to be with me. Come to my son. Entrust yourself to my son. Go into the ark and you'll be safe. And I want to say finally to any unbelievers here today, perhaps you're new here today, new to Cornerstone, and or you don't know much about the Bible, you don't know much about the Christian faith, or you might have been coming for years to this church, but you know, you know in your heart, you're not yet a Christian. You haven't yet. You know all about the ark. You know all about it. You could pass a test, give all the right answers about who Jesus is. You've got all your theology squared away. But you're not in it. You haven't entrusted yourself to him yet. You've not put yourself within him in that safe place. Can you see the judgment of God is falling? It's falling all around us. Death is coming. That's God's judgment. Today is the day to find safety in Jesus Christ. The rain is falling. The door is open. There's not a moment for any of us to lose. Let me pray and then I'll ask our musicians to come up and then we'll come to the Lord's table together. Lord God, we pray for our community. We pray for our loved ones who don't know Christ, who are not, not yet in the ark, in that safe place. And Lord, we, we love our community. Our hearts break for those who don't know Jesus, who don't want to know him. And we pray that you'll have mercy and draw all people to your son, Jesus Christ. Draw people to the ark.
May people come to him and know that their sins have already been dealt with in Christ, that we have life in him. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks, musicians.